Premier Christian Newscast. It's not hard to find out the opinions of individual vicars. There have always been plenty of Church of England priests happy to share their opinions online or on social media. But what do the quiet majority think? The ones not shooting their mouths off on Twitter or furiously blogging? Mostly, we can but guess. But last month, the Times newspaper conducted a fascinating survey of 1,200 serving vicars, rectors and curates. For the first time in about a decade, we can dig into a much more representative sampling of what the clergy think on everything from same-sex marriage to the establishment of the church, from slave trader statues to the future of church decline in Britain. I'm Tim Wyatt, and in this week's Premier Christian Newscast, we're going to dig into some of the findings of this major survey of Anglican priests' views. Does it matter that three-quarters don't believe Britain is a Christian country anymore? Do they expect their own parishes to survive the decline of Christianity in the coming decades? And should the C of E allow gay couples to marry in church? I'm joined by Sam Hales and Emma Fowle from Premier Christianity magazine to talk through all this and much more. Well, hello and welcome. Thanks so much for joining us, Emma and Sam, as always, from Premier Christianity magazine. Good to have you on the on the podcast. Um, so today we wanted to look in a bit more detail at uh, a story that some of our listeners might have come across a few weeks ago, which was that the Times newspaper did this big uh, survey. First time for about 10 years, they say that people have actually actively tried to survey the views of of serving clergy, vicars and priests, chaplains in, in the Church of England. Um, they they said they did it by basically emailing 5,000 priests at random from uh, the Crockford's Clerical Dictionary um, and about 1,200 who actually responded. So we should note at the start, it's a kind of self-selecting sample. You know, it hasn't been adjusted to make sure that these 1,200 are representative of all clergy, if that was even possible, but still a really kind of big sample size and a, and a really decent attempt to try and gauge opinion. Um, before I launch into some questions, I wanted to ask you guys, was there any particular finding or any stat that came out of that that you found most intriguing, most surprising, most thought-provoking? Oh, I don't know if there was anything that really sort of surprised me, I've got to be honest. Um, you know, we know that the Church of England is fairly divided over same-sex marriage, and that came through very strongly in the poll. Um, it was fairly even between those who wanted it changed, those who didn't, and those who didn't know what they thought about it. So no surprise there. We know that the, the ministers and priests right across the denominations are struggling and and have been you know we've covered that in the magazine um already a couple of times since covid so that's that's no surprise um so yeah no for me i i don't think i was particularly surprised um by the results of the survey but then you know we spend quite a lot of our lives enmeshed in this kind of like niche detail that maybe other people don't i was surprised at i, I was surprised at just how many had voted to remain as opposed to leave. I mean, bearing in mind, as we all know, that particular vote was fairly close, let's say, 
when you speak to Churchill and Priestley in this survey, you had 75% backing Remain and only 18% backing Leave, which I think is further evidence of what a lot of people have, have suspected, which is that the, those in the Church of England leadership often think quite differently on political issues to those in the pews. Hmm. Does that just speak to the fact that, you know, vicars are, you know, classic kind of white collar, mostly middle class professionals, and you probably could poll a large group of teachers or lawyers or doctors, and you'd get similar figures? Or does it say something more specific about the Church of England in particular on that question of leave remain? I think it's um, difficult, isn't it? Because interestingly, you you know, you, you look at the question below, which is how would you vote if there was a general election tomorrow? And, and you might be, you know, th- thinking sort of the stereotypical image of a vicar that there, there'd be a yeah a white middle class conservative voter when 36% said they vote Labour, by far the biggest biggest proportion there. So yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a strange mix for me. And like yeah. Emma, I wasn't massively surprised by most of this, but one thing that, that did stick out um, was on on the issue of statues. There's been so much media attention around these statues, memorials inside church buildings that campaigners have said have links to the slave trade. And the Times said, if if such a statue is found dedicated to an individual who owned slaves or profited from them, what should we do? Very few said destroy them, uh, only 1%. Um, very few said remove from the church, only 13%. The vast majority, 67%, said it should be left in place, but with information added to explain the links to slavery, which I would say is is a fairly, dare I say it, sensible kind of middle ground approach, which isn't necessarily what you'd suspect from, I think, some of the media coverage, where it's been made out that these, these statues are horrific and should be removed immediately, and a lot of the church hierarchy is saying so. But when actually polled, it seems most kind of everyday clergy think well let's just add an explanation as to why this is there let's let's not remove it and i think that probably as you say reflects the middle ground of public opinion i think you know it's easy for this kind of debate to be dominated by the very strident voices on each end you know some of the very very uh kind of uh active campaigners um for racial justice who've taken this issue on and i think there's equally been a kind of culture warry backlash from some of the more uh, further right elements but i think the 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 average median brit probably thinks something similar that we should on the whole keep these kind of things in place but try and explain their context and be a bit more alive to the kind of reasons these were put up in the first place I think it's quite interesting that that 41%, nearly half of the clergy polled, think that the established church's status as the established church should be reviewed and or possibly amended in some respects. So that's that's quite an interesting one. I think, you know, nearly half of them um, are are seemingly advocating for a a change in the in the legal structure of the thing that they work for so uh, yeah that's that's possibly worth interrogating as well but like all of these things they're very wide-ranging questions with quite few binary answers so you know that you could probably do whole surveys based on most of the issues contained within this survey if you're quite honest hmm should we, should we talk a little bit about that question of then the church and kind of faith in Britain? Because obviously this survey comes on the back, as people will recall, the the census results um, coming out from the 2022 census coming out uh, earlier this year um, about showing that, you know, for the first time, uh, less than half of the country would call themselves Christians. There was a specific, specific question actually in the survey, you know, do you think Britain can be described as a Christian country? And the, the 1,185 Church of England vicars said... Uh, 64% said yes, but only historically, not currently. 
24% said, yes, it's still a Christian country today. And 9.2% said, no, it's not. Um, is there a problem, do you think, if if the, the vast majority of clergy in our established religion, you know, the national church, don't actually think this this country is a Christian country anymore? Um, I'm not sure that I would say it's necessarily a problem. I think probably if you polled uh, ministers from across the Christian denominations, um, you, you might not get a dissimilar result. Does it matter if you are a church leader of any sort, if you're leading a church, whether or not you are leading that church in a Christian nation? I'm not sure it is. I mean, if you made that argument to missionaries or people that led underground churches, you know, does it does it invalidate what you do as someone who is called to minister to, to the flock? I would argue not. No. I think it all comes down to how you define Christian country, doesn't it? And I know until recently, I can remember recent prime ministers saying we are a Christian country. I I seem to remember Theresa May saying as much. I think David Cameron said the same. And I remember at the time people were a little bit critical saying, are we still a Christian country? And I think the pushback was, well, yeah, we are just about. But of course, since those two prime ministers, uh, the latest census has shown that the number of people identifying as Christian has dipped below that all important 50% mark, hasn't it? So if we're defining Christian nation by do most of the country adhere to Christianity, then we're no longer in that place. The, the official figures show it's 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 less than 50%. And of course, you could arguably narrow down that much further if you then add supplementary questions. Do you regularly go to church? And what do you think on all the theological issues? The, the, the number gets smaller and smaller, doesn't it? So um, but I think what Emma, Emma said is, is also true. It's, it's, and what the survey results says is also true. It is important, I think, to recognise the history. And actually, many of our laws, much of our society, the fact we have an institutional church, this is all based on a very legitimate claim, I think, to the UK historically being a Christian nation. And that had all sorts of implications for our society, our legal system, and any number of other things. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because whatever, where we go from here, you know, I think that there's lots of people who uh, benefit from and appreciate those elements of what makes um, the UK the kind of country that it is. And they wouldn't necessarily want to lose those things, even if the makeup of, you know, what people do of their Sunday mornings changes. So it's a very tricky question to start to get into. Should we be defined as a Christian nation or shouldn't we? Because you can't undo the past. And, and lots of people would argue that that, that what, what has gone before us has led us to where we are now. It does inform who we are culturally. It does inform our, the sort of democracy that we have. And even, you know, probably most most of the most ardent atheists wouldn't really want to undo a lot of those benefits. They just don't want the the religion that goes on the side and you know the question is can you separate out the two and, and keep the good and, and throw what they would perceive as the negative away I don't know if you can but isn't there a distinction between like you say a, a vineyard pastor or someone from the FIEC you know whether it's a Christian country or not doesn't massively change what they're doing but but uniquely among all church leaders an Anglican vicar particularly a, a parish priest is given a particular kind of geographical slice of England and says everyone who lives here believer or non-believer, whatever they go to, they are your responsibility and you are their vicar. You're responsible for their kind of spiritual formation and discipleship because that's the unique sense of the Church of England being this established church that is covering and serving the entire nation, not just people who want to come to their services. And it, and therefore it strikes me, actually, it is quite significant if most of those clergy who've been given this unique role as the national church representatives of our state church say, actually, 
we're not really a Christian country anymore. The question therefore must surely be, well, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, why are you, why is the Church of England special and different to any other church? Well, I mean, for me, they're two different, those are two different questions, really. I don't think it invalidates um, a parish priest being called to minister to, pray for, intercede, share the gospel with, meet uh, social and emotional and whatever needs of a group of people, whether or not they think they are Christians or not. You know, that for me, I'm like, well, that's that, those are the people you're called to. And it's great that the C of E has that set up where they have, you know, they can divide the whole of the UK into areas and assign someone to minister to that area. I, I wish, you know, that the other denominations could do that. But, you know, I, I don't go to a Church of England church. I go to a, an AOG church. And, and we certainly feel we carry that burden from within the leadership of our church to pray for the people that live in the in the streets surrounding our church and and all of those things in exactly the same way and I don't think we would say oh our, our job is less important or less relevant because the people around us don't believe what we believe it, it, it in some ways it makes your job more relevant and more urgent doesn't it because you you're you're now sort of dealing with this well there's a real need to share the gospel that these people aren't just walking through my door every Sunday it changes the nature of what I do but for me not really the calling if that makes sense the the question of um disestablishment does come up in the in the survey so you know i think it is interesting that around well 11 percent you know 11 percent of church and vicars say the church should be disestablished and there are legitimate you know christian perspectives on why that might be a good thing and i've i've heard plenty of anglicans argue that it would be good for the church to be disestablished but i suppose it is worth saying that up until now we have more or less been taking this survey as as read and we did uh, publish an opinion piece at premierchristianity.com from dr ian paul who was very critical of the methodology of this survey and and argued that we we perhaps put, shouldn't put too much stock in it because of the way it was put together nevertheless i did find his comment interesting where he said quote the overall picture is one of a group who are demoralized, pessimistic, and lacking in vision for a vibrant church, which stands in contrast to the culture of our age. And I think that's interesting in the context of even this this question about disestablishment, where you've had 40% of clergy saying the established status should be reviewed and some elements abolished, and another 10% saying we should just disestablish ourselves. And then also the question on, you know, do you expect the church to grow or decline? And and the majority saying, well, we expect it to decline, and, and a good few people saying we think it will decline incredibly quickly. Now, this isn't, as Ian, I think Ian Paul was right in his commentary to say this is not painting a particularly great picture of an enthused and enthusiastic um, church leadership. It's actually painting a, a bit of a depressing picture if even those leading the church aren't um aren't that optimistic about retaining its current status or growing well that question on church attendance as, as you say that they, they were asked you know do, will church attendance over the next 10 years uh, rise fast uh, uh, a solid 0.6 percent people are expecting revival to break out in the church of england which is exciting uh, rise slightly 10 percent, so just one in 10 just stop falling i.e remain static over 10 years just 10 percent and then basically everyone else who wasn't a don't know said they thought it would continue to fall. Uh, 15% said that it will fall faster than it's currently been falling, which is quite alarming. Uh, 26%, the largest group, said that it will probably fall at a similar rate. And 25% said it will continue to fall, but more slowly. So you've got clearly, you know, what's that? 65 plus percent of, of clergy, almost two thirds, saying that they believe that church attendance over the next 10 years is going to carry on falling. Some saying it might even speed up. 
I mean, Sam's made the case that that's evidence of a kind of demoralized clergy, but is that not evidence of realism? Because if you look at this, the graph over the last 60 years, that's what Well, the I think it's worth uh, bringing in the, the article in The Spectator that's been getting an awful lot of, of coverage. Now, I should point out that regular listeners to Premier Christian Newscast will be aware of this already because we at Premier covered this story about a year ago. But you may remember about a year ago, some research was done into church growth, and it showed that it used, the, it used the R rate. If you remember from the COVID days, the R rate was used to talk about if, if it's above one, the virus was growing, and if it's below one, the, the virus is falling. And somebody did some very clever research and looked at denominations and discovered that almost every denomination in the UK, the R rate was below one, meaning that fewer and fewer people were going. And, and from this even predicted the extinction of some major denominations by, say, 2040 or, or 2050. But interestingly, the groups that were above one, so that these are the denominations that are growing, were uh, New Frontiers, Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Church, a redeemed Christian Church of God, you know, churches that are traditional on a lot of the difficult sexual issues, churches that believe very much wholeheartedly in evangelism. And as I say, this was picked up and was covered by this by the spectator. And a lot of people have been talking again just this week about this about this research. And 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 again, you can't help but tie that together a bit with this with this time survey. And we are seeing a a huge divide here between denominations in terms of who's growing and who's not. And and the case, I think, can be made that it is those denominations that are more, um, well, arguably more evangelical um, in the way that they, they are, and clearly a lot of Anglican churches would fit that as well, but it seems to be the more evangelical grouping that are, that are growing, are replicated, are more optimistic about their future. Um, and I, I do find it interesting how, a mainstream publication like the spectator is actually starting to to recognize there might be something in that now i know plenty of people would, would dispute that that is only one view on it but i think it is linked as well to this time survey and showing there's a lot of churches out there who are quite demoralized at the moment and can see the numbers going down and i, and I do think there's a there's a strong case to be made for being realistic and um and looking at the data and the, and the number the numbers i do think paint a very interesting picture that's worth some further analysis yeah, I think there's a there's a brilliant quote in that spectator piece from an Anglican vicar called David Goodhue, and he says that the, he summarised the evidence in this way: this is the words, those trim in faith to fit in with culture have tended to shrink, and those offering a full fat faith, vividly supernatural, have tended to grow. This is as true of the ultra liturgical Orthodox as it is of the ultra informal Pentecostals, and that's really interesting because it stands in very stark contrast to the time survey where the analysis and the reporting around it was very much suggesting that that you know the way forward from for the church uh, the way to stop this terminal growth the way to sort of encourage a turnaround is is to fit in with culture more i.e to become more liberal to accept same-sex marriage to accept sex outside of marriage to sort of get with the culture on a whole range of issues and 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 you, this is the, this theme that keeps refer re, keeps recurring now in, the, in these arguments as do we, you know, is is the other problems of the Anglican Church going to be solved by someone standing up and, and really laying down a hard traditional line, or are they going to be solved by let's soften, let's try to include, let's, you know, and I, yeah, and I don't know when that's going to be resolved because it just seems to go around in loops. But you you are now hearing more and more these two very opposing views being reported in the media, and you see that you know even in the Times and the Spectator. So that's that's very fascinating to me. Yeah, and it's worth noting, isn't it, that when the Anglican Church gets itself 
wrapped up in these um you know vicious internal fights and i've i've sat in the synod press gallery observing most of them over the last 10 years around sexuality that is a an argument that is often kind of weaponized on both sides you know you'll have liberals standing up and saying you know if we don't change our teaching on marriage sexuality you know this is going to usher in the extinction of the church you know why would young people want anything to do with this homophobic bigoted institution um you know this is a last chance and then you have equally other other side saying if we abandon what we've always believed just to try and fit in with the times like what is even the point of the church and making the case you know as you say there that that, that bigoted in the spectator piece that actually it's people are intrigued and appealed to, to institutions that, are, that have the courage of their convictions and stand by what they believe and don't just kind of float around on the tide. And I have to say that the kind of the, the mushy centrist kind of like cynical take is the Church of England tends to do the kind of adapting to culture, but it runs about 20 to 30 years, i.e. one generation behind the times. And so it actually manages to please neither in that it still upsets everyone for being out of sync with culture, but then it does eventually concede anyway, but just a little bit too late to actually gain any credit in the bank. Mm. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. I mean, I think what's, you know, what's possibly worth interrogating a little bit more when we're talking about, you know, Elam was one of the fastest growing um, denominations and again was mentioned in the Spectator piece. It's, it's grown massively over the last 20 years, actually. But then there there is another element to that discussion, which is around um, ethnic diversity in our churches and the makeup of our churches. And are, is the makeup of our church in the UK changing? And is it being supported basically by... Um, like by immigrant populations coming into the UK who have a much stronger and much more traditional and much more orthodox um, view around a lot of these issues as well. So that's that's another thing to try and unpack. And I think that's where, you know, this time survey did come under a little bit of criticism. Is, is this all a little bit too simplistic and high level? And then off the back of it, you get some very shouty headlines, which, you know, really need quite a lot of in-depth and delicate unpacking to, to get to the heart of understanding, you know, are we, oh, what's the point of this survey? Are, you know, is it a snapshot for the sake of it? Is it to, for in order for the church particularly to be able to use this to move forward, we need to understand what's, what's really going on and, and really unpack that in a lot of detail because that's where church leaders will be able to use it to, to think around some of the more critical issues that may be affecting church growth and church attendance. I was particularly struck as well by the question attached to the one about, you know, church attendance, you know, across the whole C of E over the next 10 years. The vicars were also asked, how likely is it that your own church will still be holding a service every Sunday in 10 years time? And quite strikingly, people actually were much more optimistic about their own church, which we imagine is, you know, is everything from these big thriving kind of city centre powerhouses through to, you know, tiny rural churches. Yet most people, so... uh, 65% again almost two-thirds of of the clergy said it was very likely or fairly likely that their church would still be holding a service every Sunday in 10 years time even though similar numbers actually said they expect church attendance to to continue to decline or maybe even speed up so maybe there's something maybe there's a bit of kind of a cognitive dissonance you know that we think we're doing fine even if the whole church is dying around us but maybe there's something else there about you know this picture around decline and morale of clergy i think is quite a subtle complicated one it's really interesting interesting, 
we'll be okay but everybody else is obviously the problem <laughs> it does um it does remind me of similar opinion polls when people asked about politicians in general people are very negative oh, politicians they're awful we can't can't trust them lacking integrity don't like them and then you say well what's your local mp like oh, Compi, he or she, great, great person, helped me out with a few issues. And there is that kind of cognitive dis- dissonance, isn't there? On a local level, I think actually things aren't that bad for church leaders. People are still coming through the doors and we're baptizing people and we're in the community and it's not it's not glamorous and revival isn't breaking out, but we're serving our community, we're doing our best. And then when asked on the big picture, oh yeah, it's all it's all terrible. I think it, it is an interesting quirk of opinion polling that you, you see that difference between the kind of national and the local level when people are asked. Yeah. It's, I, I, the one of the other things I found really interesting in the commentary in the actual piece was um, there's a, a professor from um, the London School of Economics who's quoted it, uh, sorry, from King's College London, he's quoted in it. And she says um, that the survey shows that clergy take a more moderate position than their leaders. And then she goes on to say that frontline peace, priests are more in touch with their congregations and ordinary people. And if they've been listened to more by leaders, the church might be in a better place today, which again goes back to that sort of argument that, you know, the answers but to counter decline our to be more in line with culture but also this kind of interesting sort of dimension in the church of england particularly where you have levels of leadership obviously a, a priest comes in and they are in charge of a local congregation and and then there's the bishops and the archbishops above them and, and the leadership structures above them does that when you're getting priests coming in at a bottom level who are, who are running congregations who are saying and saying quite publicly in, in opinion polls to the times that they wish the church position to move on various issues. That for me feels odd as a non CME person, because you, you're basically coming into a, taking a job within an organization that has a very clear set of rules, regulations, beliefs and, and saying, well, but I don't agree with them, but I'm still going to try to lead within that but I don't agree with the rules I'm being given. But I'm taking oaths when I'm ordained that say I will teach the people that God has given to me to to steward, but I don't actually agree with the things that I'm taking oaths that I'm meant to be teaching. So it creates this, for me, this really confusing mess in my head of kind of how, 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 how does that exist? How does, how does that tension get managed? I mean, I mean, maybe looking at what's happening soon up this year, it doesn't get managed, arguably. But, you know, that is difficult for me there you know there is a set church doctrine you've obviously got people within that leading who don't agree with that set church doctrine what happens there how does that play out in the long term and that actually really um is what is helpful for me about this survey as a kind of long-time church of england watcher is that it really exposes these kind of internal fissures and the kind of complex internal politics you know i mean there are it's quite well known. There are bishops, you know, not just clergy, but actual bishops who believe very strongly that the Church of England's teaching is wrong, you know, would even describe it as homophobic uh, and, and would long for it to change. And yet they are the individuals who in the theology of the Church of England are kind of tasked with upholding doctrine. And I guess that's the tension that the Church of England has been in is that everyone kind of expects at some point the doctrine to change. And so they're like, even though I currently don't really like what I'm supposed to be teaching or upholding. I'm going to wait it out and see if it gets better. And on the other side, the conservatives are saying, well, you know, I like what it is currently and I'm going to stick it, even though I fully expect it to kind of liberalize in the future. Uh, And then you have all this kind of like shadow lobbying and behind the scenes while we're all supposedly 
supposed to be um you know up front you know united front behind what the canon say and it, and it works both ways you know i mean you know at the moment it's the conservatives who are often the ones who are kind of beating the drum for well hang on let's actually go back to the church of england's black and white written down teaching which at, at present right as we speak in 2023 is still very orthodox very traditional when it comes to sexuality um but equally you know in the past it's been the other way around and you know you could say you know, it's been might be more kind of traditional, um, kind of liturgical people who've been accusing the evangelicals of, of, of breaking the letter of the rules when it comes to things like you know whether you're wearing robes in services and how you're organising communion and things like that. Which again, the church has very clear rules, even if they're there, they might be widely flouted. So, yeah, it's just this kind of incredibly intriguing, uh, chaotic, anarchic mess where, in some sense, it might be cleaner and simpler if it acted like more churches, which just have, you know, this is what we believe. And if you join up, you have to live it out, believe it wholeheartedly. But actually, the C of E historically has never been that place. It's always been this kind of mess of competing factions and and lobbying and trying to to change it from the inside. If St. Paul were alive today, writing his second epistle to the Church of England, the, the mind boggles as to what he'd have to say about some of this. You used the phrase shadow... Uh, what was it, Tim? Shadow um, campaigning or something? Yeah. I mean, you know, it is a it is a political institution, isn't it, Tim? I mean, you know this from reporting on things like General Synod. It's it's very political, and you know, one can't help but have a little bit of sympathy for I think the fairly large number of people in this country who are put off what they call organised religion. I've heard some church leaders take that too far and say, oh, come, come join our church. We're really disorganized. Um, yeah. So we're not organized religion. Don't worry. But you know what I mean? There is a there is a kind of very structured, very political. We meet and we have synods and we um, we lobby. That was it. Shadow lobby, shadow lobbying. You know, we lobby each other. But I think that is off putting to some, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And you kind of, you know, you've got to sort of unpack this, like try to sort of think about what you think your role of biblical leadership is you know like I've I've always grown up in a church tradition that believes that um you know you respect your leadership and you sit under it because they're appointed by God and then that gives them authority and what this survey seems to be saying is that a lot of clergy don't hold that to be true they don't want to sit under the authority of their bishops they don't want to sit under the authority of the archbishop they don't want to sit under the authority of the traditional teaching and I don't know how you how you maintain a massive organization of that size in that position like if it was just a secular normal organization surely you know that's that's a recipe for disaster it's it's no one you know it's like trying to create a big organization and having these rules and these procedures and these beliefs about what the culture of your organization is and then you know half of the middle management being like yeah but we don't really think that and we're just going to quietly undermine it from the inside i mean it's just it doesn't feel like a good thing to me but this is the problem here, I think, with the Church of England is that this has been the case for so long that it's hard to know how you undo that. You know, so so part of, I think, the reason the Church of England has got itself as such a mess around sexuality in particular is that for decades, potentially centuries, there has been a kind of don't ask, don't tell in certain corners of the Church of England, where people all the way up to archbishops have been personally very happy to, you know, appoint and license and deploy clergy who they know are gay and are sexually active in relationships but doing it quietly behind the scenes and they say you know I'm personally not offended by that and even though everyone knows this is technically against the letter of the rules we're not going to prevent this person from 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 you know taking part and being ordained and leading a church 
or becoming even becoming a bishop because we think that might be a bit bigoted and you do that enough and then now you get to the point where actually the church in itself is so divided that actually as you say a majority of clergy disagree with its own stance you know so the survey reveals they ask you know the big question should we the church of england allow gay couples to marry in church now just to be clear that's not only something that is contrary to the church of england's teaching forever but it's not even on the table you know that's not part of the the offer from the bishops at the moment that, that people are falling out over that's just about prayers of blessing the the idea of actually marrying gay couples in church on equal terms to straight couples that's not on the table and yet 53 percent of these clergy said yes we should do that um 37 said no so part of the issue here is that a kind of don't ask don't tell look the other way not in a wink from people who wanted the kind of rules and teaching to change but knew they didn't have the kind of numbers has meant that the church has become so so incredibly mixed and diverse in terms of who represents it who has been allowed into the institution that now it feels you know if the church of england were to overnight say we're actually going to ruthlessly and rigorously in a way that paul might approve uphold church discipline and doctrine and weed out every cleric who disagrees with our traditional teaching on marriage and sexuality you'd effectively have to fire you know potentially up to half of your clergy overnight which is not going to happen wow where do we go from here (laughs) that's a great question emma where do we go from here (laughs) Sam, bring us brings back something hopeful and sensible, please. Yeah, I, I, it happens rarely, but I, I appear to be speechless, guys. I mean, um, gosh. <laughs> I guess, the, I guess the question, the question to ask is, is do you have any hope that it wants this eventual, you know, the kind of living in love and faith, the kind of current conflagration that the Church of England is tearing itself apart over? Once that is eventually resolved in some way, you know that. you know what is likely to happen i guess that you know these prayers of blessings for gay couples will be introduced some parishes will use them some won't a small number of evangelicals and traditionalists will quit the church of england but it will kind of do you think it will settle down and do you think this is the kind of last big kind of culture war backlash but eventually the church of england has set a kind of trajectory uh, where it wants to go and and it will eventually settle down and 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 we'll look back on this in the way that we might look back on kind of previous ructions in different in 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 church history that were really big deals then but everyone eventually kind of moved on yeah it's it's tempting it's very tempting to to go with that tim j- just because of the past history because you can look back can't you on issues of baptism or women's ordination and you would say well kind of based on that your analysis is spot on this will all die down eventually and we'll move on and talk about other things I think the pushback on that would just be neither neither baptism nor women's ordination were arguably so central to Christian theology. And I'm not suggesting that sexuality itself is central to Christian theology. What I'm suggesting is the call to repent and believe the good news is central. And I think the question you have to answer is what are we calling people to repent of? Are we calling them to repent of absolutely nothing and to carry on having sex with who they like to have sex with and and carry on? Or are we calling them to to live differently when it comes to sexual ethics? And so my take on that would be it, it is a like it or not, really, it's a central question. And the only part of your analysis, Tim, I might push back slightly on is when you said that because of this, a small number of evangelicals might quit the church being altogether. I do wonder if it won't be a small number. I wonder if it will be a bit of a larger number. And we have already seen some some movements within the, the more conservative evangelical world to set up alternative structures and, and ultimately leave. So I think that's probably the next battleground that I'll that you know we'll be looking at is who's leaving 
and not so much why, because I think we know why they'll leave, but but when and how will that happen? Uh, and that would be my my very tentative prediction on this that we'll start we will start to see the more the more evangelical churches are saying actually if you change if you change your mind on this issue we can't tolerate it we could tolerate it to a certain degree on women ordination for example we could tolerate differences of view on baptism but but on this one we can't tolerate a different view because it, it's it strikes to the heart of what we actually believe as christians and what are we calling people to repent of and what are we saying is fine yeah i mean i'm 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 hopeful because God is still on his throne <laughs> and despite the the mess we managed to make of the church and this is not just Anglicans is it I mean you know <laughs> whatever whatever hot button topic it is that we're talking about there are no denominations or church structures that are perfect so you know I'm I'm hopeful that and thankful that God redeems regardless of the mess we make of things. I will be really interested in a couple of decades time to look back, especially at like the research of people like John Hayward that, you know, modelling church decline and, and the intersection between that and our, and our stance on um, ethical issues. I, you know, I, I have an inkling that he's right, that the church, that the, the world does not want a church that looks no different to them. That the, the world wants something different. That he, And even if it, you know, sometimes thinks it doesn't, actually the thing that is going to make us attractive and is going to set us apart and is going to enable us to tell a different story is by telling a different story, not by making our story more like everybody else's story. So, you know, whether or not it ends in terminal decline for the C of E and, you know, similarly, the Methodist and the Baptist Church and all those other traditional denominations that are also declining. How do we as Christians, as the body of Christ collective outside of their denominational boundaries, pick up the baton and and keep declaring the good news and keep hopeful in, in, in this in the face of all of this and keep praying for each other and, you know, keep sharing the gospel? And I don't have any doubt that God will not do what God needs to do somewhere in the midst of all our mess. So that gives me hope, I guess. And it's easy, isn't it, to get sucked into the short term kind of maelstrom. I do this all the time, you know, but actually when you take the long view, the Church of England is just, you know, one small part of the story of what God has been doing on the British Isle since Christianity first arrived here. And I've no doubt, you know, it's time has come and it's time will go at some point, whether that's in 30 years time or it's in... 3000 years time got no idea but as you say absolutely that it's important i think not to get completely consumed by the internal church politics of one particular flavor of god's universal apostolic church however fascinating i might i might <laughs> find it personally as a journalist and, and we're only once we're part of the global church aren't we you know that the even the anglicans you know there's a big communion out there and, and that is growing and it's growing fast and you know that where where it all fits into that is probably another massive topic of discussion absolutely well there's lots more we could be saying lots more questions didn't even get to on the survey um so do uh i'll put a link in in the podcast description if anyone who hasn't read that um fair play to the times we're going to the effort and the expense of collating this data for us to peruse and discuss thanks to them and thanks everyone else for listening thank you emma thank you sam for your thoughts uh, we'll be back next week with another episode but until then bye-bye
That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 